Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. This is Drew. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Episode 31. We are back to the normal full crew this week. Daniel's in town. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have some game reviews, some stuff we played recently. Uh, aftermath of our uh, tabletop fantasy world cup, uh, having moved on. We got a lot of great feedback on that, actually. Thank so, you. Including some people who... Uh, of course, didn't necessarily agree. And if you haven't jump on, jumped up and down on us yet, feel free to do so. Go to Board Game Geek, find our guild, and tell us what your favorite game is and why Daniel was wrong for not being on the podcast. <laughs> I didn't even vote. How could I have been wrong? We voted on your behalf a couple times. And you were oh, wrong God. the entire time. It was really creepy. Every choice you made, Daniel. This is eerily like real life. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had a lot of fun with it, though, and it was great hearing people's feedback. Uh, mm-hmm. Gave us a couple ideas for new segments in the future, so stay tuned. Uh, this week, we're going back to the usual format. We got a couple awesome reviews, some games we got to the table, um, some thematic entries in this week's At the Table segment, and um, a game that I've wanted to get in our feature review slot for like a year. So finally got it played enough that I feel like can, we can review it. Um, but before we dive into that, just want to remind everybody, we are on Twitter. Follow us at BGA Podcast. We're on Facebook. Uh, look for Board Gamers Anonymous. We are on Board Game Geek. Look for Board Gamers Anonymous there as well. And then uh, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Plenty of uh, content. We have the Kicking the Habit podcast on there. We have articles by Drew. We have news. Um, lots of great information. Lots of great articles and content on there. So check it out. All right. So first things first, we have the news. Drew has a few stories he's picked out for us. Uh, what do you got, man? Well, four, uh, four great releases to talk about and get your opinions on. And two news items that uh, really pique our interest, too. Um, the important release back last Monday, um, Z-Man released on his Facebook page. We all know about it by now. Obviously, Pandemic Legacy. Now, guys, what do I love more than anything in the world? Marshmallows? Well, it starts with those words. <laughs> yes, those letters. <laughs> mashed potatoes? Mashed potatoes. I love potatoes. me some mashed potatoes. <laughs> Mash them up, baby. Um, I've been seeing this trend more and more uh, over the past year, um, taking a theme or, me- or a mechanic from one game and adding it to another. This is as blatant as you can come, as you can get. The designer of Risk Legacy plus the designer of Pandemic creating a mashup called Pandemic Legacy. Um, you're so, going to get kickback for that, right, Drew? You're going to get some money? Because that was like no, your general... <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had thought of matchups. I was playing them for decades. A lot of fun. Um, I did write about it in the blog, and I'm going to more in the future, but I can't top what these guys are creating. Um, example of... Uh, let's see. Oh, they talk about the characters are going to change. Obviously, the map is going to change. I'm sure a lot of people are looking for the death of the contingency planner... People have been talking about killing him off. I'm sure in this game you can kill him off, and he's gone forever. You never have to deal with him. But he has a plan to get away with that. <laughs> he'll come back. He'll, he'll the contingency plan will be a zombie. Um, what I'm curious about: if this is the way of the future, what other games do you think would benefit from the legacy treatment? Um, obviously, Pandemic, because like Risk, it's a map-based game. Can you think of any other map-based games? that uh, you can start from scratch and just... Well, one game I can think of that really has that kind of feel to it would be Small World. It'd be Mm. interesting to see that these different races with their special abilities and how that kind of marked the land. 
So if there was a bonus for trees or valleys, that bonus stayed there. If there was leprechauns that went to decline, the pots and gold would stay behind. So to be able to see those special powers kind of go on from game to game would be really interesting. And to see maybe how their descendants would pop back up and it maybe be something slightly different. So that would be pretty, pretty interesting. Races could evolve. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, we'll talk about this a little later, too, because our feature review is Mice and Mystics. But um, I think any dungeon crawler, if it had a legitimate legacy mode, would be pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, they all have, some of them have campaigns, but I don't feel like it really captures that feel, like the changing game world that you're impacting. Yeah. So It's always think, interesting with those dungeon crawls. Like, you always go down there, and there's always stuff to fight. You would think that at some point there would have been a, a crew that went down there and cleaned it out. Yeah, <laughs> it's like why do they keep getting all these monsters? They keep regenerating out of nowhere. <laughs> I just want to go down to one dungeon and not have to fight a whole bunch of hordes of skeletons and just walk down and take the treasure or you know hang out. But no, dragons always there. I don't know why. You know, I think a lot of Eldritch horror games could benefit from a legacy mode. Oh yeah, uh, you have the sort of building. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. The, the, the slow breakdown of the laws of reality as the dark ones break forth. You have the clues left behind by past investigators who weren't successful in stopping the monsters. That sort of thing. Yeah, to try and I've always found it's overwhelming to try and play Arkham Horror in one sitting. It, you could break it up into smaller chapters like Mice and Mystics, and then let the game evolve from there. Yeah. Great, I'd look forward to that. Um, uh, a quickie release that uh, not a big one. It's one. It's for the iPad and Android. But uh, Blood Bowl Games Workshop is releasing Blood Bowl. I've always loved that game because it gave new meaning to the phrase fantasy football. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the first time <laughs> any of us have heard that, but I love that, and I think it's perfect for a tablet uh, to be playing that. Another big release, Days of Wonder, is releasing the 10th anniversary of Memoir. It's a huge it's not just like a repackaging like ticket to ride but they're creating a six board mega campaign of d-day um, using the five beaches and then i think a paratrooper map too um, so it can play up to 12 people everybody can get in on this wow yeah so i know recently they had their 10th anniversary ticket to ride but looking at what they can do with memoir on their 10th anniversary, it makes me wonder if Ticket to Ride is just like, has it reached the end? What, what more can you do uh, with Ticket to Ride? You know, the 10th anniversary, all they did was little tins, bigger box, more expensive. Alan Moon was re recently on an interview, and they were asking him that. And supposedly Days of Wonder has something else in mind. He couldn't reveal what it was, but... There is supposedly another map coming out. He said that he's been asked many times to do a Cthulhu type of a map or a space theme type of map with trains for some reason or something kind of replacing the trains. Hmm. Space trains. Yeah. But basically, I'm, you know, Days of Wonder is going to kind of milk this till the end of the earth and there's, you know, going to be a Lord of the Rings or something but it's <laughs> as just far a, as trails are going. But just a new skin, that's not really... I don't know. Maybe people would buy it, I'm sure. Star Wars... Uh... And we've seen this before, right? There's a lot of mechanics that just play fundamentally well with a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, maybe it is the commercialization of true hobby board games. Maybe it's kind of like the monop Monopoly of the hobby board games where you just have this game and you just throw something on top of it and throw something on top of it. <laughs> Munchkin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting you said Monopoly because I and, and others, I'm sure other listeners, feel the same way toward Ticket to Ride. 
almost everybody does their Monopoly. Oh, sure. And Catan does that also. And, yeah. Uh, Carcassonne to some respect. So there are a lot of games. We, we've talked we've spoken a lot about how uh, Cryptic Zoic has done that too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of companies that take that. The mechanic, you know, if it's you know if it's not broke, don't fix it. Just mm. kind of throw something else. Maybe tweak it a little bit. Like you just mentioned earl- earlier, legendary. You know, so legendary and pandemic. As far legacy? as that's the legacy, legacy, yeah, legacy and pandemic. As far as we know, this game, it's just going to ch- change slightly. It'd be interesting to see if they could create a, a ticket to ride legacy. Ticket to ride legacy. <laughs> that would be, no, that'd be cool though. Like building the railways out west. Yeah. Like in the 19th century? The major hubs become larger cities, and then as the railroads atrophy from the progress of time, they build... You move on to planes, right? Now you're playing planes on the same map. So, okay, so (laughs) the way I could see it is you you take, like, Ticket to Ride USA, put all the cities on it, but no no lines. You're laying the lines as you go, and then they become a permanent part of future... Hmm. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, you could play cards that... Each city maybe gets a population booth boost, or maybe a city and shuts a down, yeah. or a second line, or yeah. maybe a, a city shuts down because of drought or something, hmm. and now that railway is not worth as much. Yeah. So things could change throughout the game. Well, I'd love to see. The only thing that keeps Ticket to Ride fresh for me is a new board. Um, otherwise, a second play on the same board is boring. <laughs> uh, anyway, one more uh, release that we need to talk about: Dungeons and Dragons. Well, uh, Wizards of the Coast have been talking about this for a long time, but they finally released the uh, PDF file of their basic game, 100 and some pages. Um, it's To me, it's the wins the award for print-and-play game of the year. Uh, it's got the four basic character classes, cleric, fighter, wizard, and what used to be the thief, now the rogue. <laughs> um, it's polit- more politically correct. Four basic races, human, dwarf, elf, halfling, 120 spells... Um, character sheets, everything's included except a monster manual, but you they've got enough within the campaign to keep you busy, keep you occupied. Um, are we going to go back to this? I mean, we've all beyond gone beyond it, but does it sound like intriguing enough to dabble with? Dabble yeah, with? I think so. Especially after, you know, we had the fourth edition and then like the waffling between 3.5 and Pathfinder. What do you want to play? Daniel's talked about other RPGs in general that he's just moved on to. Yeah. Like, might well, be kind of fun to go back and just see, like, what is Wizard's idea of going back to basics? You yeah. know? What does that mean? Well, it's more of I've rotated through. You never really move beyond D&D, right? It's always in the, in the cycle. At least hmm. for me. Well, it, it would remind us of why we fell in love with it in the first place. Oh, yeah. It's interesting to see, as far as marketing is concerned, have people burnt out on D&D at this point because so many of them have moved to Pathfinder and maybe kind of been a little bit burnt as far as like 3.5 and 4.0 is concerned. So it might do well. It might languish a little bit. So I think everybody will buy it. It's whether they play it. Yeah. 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 But it's a great, uh, a great gateway game. So print it out and share it with your friends who've never played before. And finally, just two quick references. We'll put links on our show notes about these two. One is from this conservative magazine called The American Spectator, but they had an article called Remake Monopoly for the 21st Century. It's a, it's not humorous as much as it is satirical. Uh, look at what if you made a realistic monopoly to reflect you know, the way business works today. Um, when you pass go, you collect $2 million. Um, it's just it's more than just a matter of adding zeros to the ends of the numbers, but they talked about rewriting the chance cards, community chest, um, 
to involve economic stimulus from Uncle Sam, federal, yeah, railroads and utilities getting <laughs> federal bailouts. Sure. That would be realistic. So it's it's a curious little piece of fluff. The traditional game pieces wouldn't be a dog and a hat. It would be a Hummer, a Gulfstream, a yacht. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So interesting. It's fluff, but uh, I'm curious. Um, it, it made me wonder, what if we had remade, if we remake the game of life to reflect modern reality? Do you think that game needs a makeover? Well, especially since it, it usually has that initial branching off do you get a job or you go to college like one or the other yeah one yeah. or the other it's these days unfortunately it's almost like you have to go to college but then it doesn't even give you a job so <laughs> you go to college then you snake back around to get a job and then and then you're then you kind of wander around and you fall off the cliff and you pick up and <laughs> college or backpack in europe after college live with your parents or apply for jobs <laughs> After applying for jobs, go back and live with your parents or work at McDonald's. <laughs> you know how they have the, all these little shortcuts on the board? I think go to college, um, take on massive student debt, and That's then a right. shortcut to poorhouse. Just go <laughs> right to it. Well, that kind of that kind of connects with Monopoly, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're playing one game or the other. There's not... Clearly, we don't all play the same game. <laughs> well, we're going to have to work on that in the future. A, a true-to-life game of life. Um, finally, um, uh, an article from The Guardian in the UK, which touches close to all of us here in New York City. They had a great July 4th article um, asking the uh, owners of Complete Strategist, our favorite board game in Manhattan, uh, for ideas on rainy day games. Because the forecast originally was for rain on 4th of July. So you can't go out. What do you do? Stay in. I'm not going to go through all the, um, the suggestions because we'll have the link. And, and there's some great suggestions everyone should read. Um, and the article went beyond the Connect Four, Yahtzee, Monopoly, the basic ones. And they really used some of the more modern Euro, the better American games. Um, so just for our audience, um, I'm going to ask you guys, do you know how to spell complete? Yeah, C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T. Now, now use it in a sentence. <laughs> Why is complete different than complete? I have no idea why they chose to spell it that way. It's just... It's a separate word, like discrete versus discrete. Oh. But there's a, simil there's a similarity. Okay, I didn't really know this myself, but complete, C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T, is just a cutesy, archaic way to spell Complete, C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E. -E. Um, we found them to be very complete, to have everything we need and order whatever we need. Just thinking about Complete Strategist as being a lot of people's hometown game store, even though it's right in a busy downtown Manhattan street. Do you guys remember a, a local game store from your younger days that you used to go to? Like, that's where you would hang out. That's where you would get games. A local place. Yeah, sure. There was Hobbytown, USA in Charleston, South Carolina, where I used to go. Uh, we played Pokemon League when I was a little kid, then Yu-Gi-Oh! League when I was a little bit older, then Mage Knight, then... Oh, God. Um, Battletech RPG, and continued moving up in sophistication because I grew up with the place. Warhammer 40K, played that there a lot. Do you know if they're still in business? Uh, they are. They just moved down the street. And they've actually oh. got a couple Hobbytown USAs open. That's now. cool. Yeah, yeah we have nice. Hobbytown out in Seattle, too. Yeah. It's not there anymore. Oh. They shut down all their stores out there that I'm aware of. But yeah. that's used, I used to build model kits. I used to go there and then I'd get the glue and whatever I needed for the model kit. And then I'd be like, Mom, 
Magic cards. I had a favorite game store. It's not a place that we could go to play games, but it would be the local place. Um, and I'm old enough to uh, to have frequented a place called Variety Store. I don't know if you people even know what a Variety Store is. Miller's Variety Store in Southerton, Pennsylvania. Um, it's where we'd get our um, Meal Born and uh, Racco and, and all our games. We always loved going there because it had everything there. But that was our favorite place, going down there and buying a new game. You'd say they stored a variety of things? Variety of things. <laughs> it was a true variety store. A little bit of clothing, a little bit of... This was like um, a Walmart, but one one-hundredth of the scale. <laughs> They pack it all in. So uh, we got a link to that. It's a great article about the folks who run it. They've been there for, I think, I counted up, 35 years they've been in that location. So um, if you're ever in Manhattan, add that to your list of places to see because it's a legend. It's a landmark. And that's what I found for news. That's the shouting it from the tabletop. (laughs) <laughs> awesome thanks Drew uh, so next up we're going to talk about some of our acquisition disorders some of the stuff we've seen coming up lately it is convention season there's a lot of great stuff out there Let's see how much uh, it's going to hurt our wallet acquisition disorder corner So we're in the midst of convention season. Origins was just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Dice Tower Con's this week. Uh, Gen Con's next month. Um, so there's obviously tons of games out there that are being announced, shown, um, whether they're going to be released very soon or they're just, you know, designers are teasing us a little bit. Uh, so obviously there's probably a lot of stuff that's triggering the acquisition disorders this summer. We've talked about a lot of stuff that's coming out soon um, already, but I know there's a few new ones and some games that we didn't know a lot about that we now are learning more about. Um, so I know, Drew, you were talking about, we talked about Pandemic Legacy yeah. a little earlier, but they also have a couple other interesting... Well, Pandemic yeah, Legacy is just in development, um, so they're nowhere near releasing it. However, what they're releasing at Gen Con is something I'm excited about. If anyone's going there, look up Z-Man. It's Pandemic Contagion which is just a flip of pandemic um, where instead of curing the disease, you are the disease and you're trying to infect the world. So it, it not only flips the, the roles, but it also changes it from uh, a cooperative to a competitive. That's kind of cool because I think every time I've played that, at least somebody at the table is like, why can't I be the disease? <laughs> it's usually one of the younger players, right? Yeah. <laughs> But that I'm looking forward to. And uh, I, I think that's not the only um, Pandemic module or game to come out with. Yeah, there's Pandemic The Cure, which I don't know a lot about. But I know it definitely mixes up the mechanics of the game quite a bit. I know it was just recently shown at Origins. So it's uh, we'll post a link to it so everybody can take a look. Is it but released or was it just demoing? It was not released yet. Okay. No, they're just showing it right now. So I'm not sure when that release date is exactly, but it does look very different. Uh, the pictures I saw don't show a board, so it might just be a... Uh, oh, wow. It's, a, it's more of a standalone, I think. Circuit little... Yeah, the pictures I'm seeing, just little circular... Yeah, it looks almost probably more like a dice game. Okay. So Yeah, I do see that. Um, so one game I saw, and I think I talked about this a couple episodes ago, but I know that it was just confirmed to be, it's going to be released at Gen Con as Samurai Spirits. Um, this is Antoine Bowser's uh, Samurai game. There's a couple Samurai games coming out soon, but it's his cooperative Samurai card game with the same kind of artwork from uh, Takedo and Takenoko. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about it. It looks really cool. Um, and he has officially confirmed it's in production, so it's going to be 
at Gen Con in North America, and then Essen in Europe. So I'm excited to get that one in hand. For me, the most exciting is the upcoming expansion to uh, legendary Marvel's deck building game, the Legendary Villains. Uh, just letting you flip around your roles, uh, play as the villains and going after the heroes. Uh, just going to allow us to elaborate more on a game that I really, really like. Legendary is one of my favorite games, even though I don't get to take it out that often, just because it's so hard to set up <laughs> uh, and so much harder to clean up. But it really is a wonderful game, and so I look forward to the expansion. That's cool. Yeah, they just they had some other news at Origins, right? The uh, was it Legendary Encounters, the alien-based game? Oh yeah. We were just talking about this yesterday. So it's Chris, you were telling us about it. Um, it's got like kind of almost a trader mechanic in it. So when you play the typical Marvel Legendary, you'll have villains who kind of go across these different areas and you can attack them depending on which heroes you have. But you get to see what villains are coming out there. And if they get across the board, bad things happen. Now with the Aliens version, you're not going to get to see what aliens are there. They're kind of moving through the ductwork and they're all hidden. So the cards are face down you'll have special abilities to be able to scan the cards to see what aliens there, and there'll also be marines there who can also help you. So you want to make sure not to take out <laughs> friendlies as far as that's concerned. So they flip over and you can kind of attack them. But in addition to that, there's the always friendly and happy to see you facehugger. So, with, so if the facehugger gets you and turns you into an alien, now you're playing against the rest of the team and you're playing cards to try to help the bad guys out win that. So a little bit of a twist on a game. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember when they announced this, I was thinking, how are they going to do this? There's like nine characters in those fil films. Like, that's You don't have any breadth. It's not going to work with the legendary model. So you change the mechanics to make it feel more thematic. That's kind of cool. Yeah, they have to kind of bring up the gameplay a little bit because like as you said they're not going to have the characters everyone's going to want to play ripley and i don't know newt yeah. <laughs> and random guy and random girl with a gun and i don't know random all these people who die <laughs> andrew a guy who gets ripped up wait a minute that's every andrew <laughs> so yeah you gotta do something a little bit different yeah i'm a big fan of anything with a sort of randomized creator mechanic and i'm a big fan of the legendary core mechanic so this is a very exciting game for me. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, there's one more game I know that was being previewed at Origins. Um, I actually backed it on Kickstarter a couple months ago, so it's not new to me necessarily, but it is cool to start seeing more finished versions of it. Uh, it's Mike Fitzgerald's Baseball Highlights 2045. So it's a card game. Uh, it's a baseball card game, basically, but the whole idea is that it's you know, 25, 30 years in the future, and uh, you're to the point where regular normal humans are kind of the minority in this sport. So pitchers have bionic arms, robots are hitters, and different teams of players that are more thematic to kind of that futuristic setting um, with different, you know, bonuses. So robots aren't very good defenders, for example, whereas straight humans are, whereas more bionic humans are better pitchers and robots are better hitters because they're stronger. Who knows how it's going to play, because it's a Kickstarter game, but it does look very interesting, and there's been a lot of uh, uh, really great-looking artwork as they build out the game. All right, anybody else see anything awesome they wanted to talk about, acquisition disorder-wise? Well, if you're playing Attack Wing or X-Wing miniatures, you got to be playing Dungeons & Dragons Attack Wing. This is the new version, and 
it's scary looking because the models actually look good and that's kind of unbelievable i don't believe you it is unbelievable <laughs> whiz kids doing quality models i know nah, this is like the production version that's like how the burger on the commercial it's looks true. so good and then you see it and it's like a slimy mess it's true so now what you're going to be able to see is just like attack when you're going to see a starter kit with three dragons and all the chits and everything you need to play the game in addition to that for that first kind of major wave they're also going to have eight wave one kind of creatures or characters so you're going to see sun elves you're going to see additional dragons like a green dragon so they're going to be all the different color dragons probably the <laughs> you're also going to see ground troops which is different than attack wing or x-wing miniatures which i mean for x-wing miniatures Man, I would love to see a Hoth kind of battle set up, yeah. you know, with Adats and things. Maybe this will come, it'll kind of push them along with that. So you're really going to see a number of different um, flying characters, but also ground characters are going to kind of interact. It's enormous as far as what they're showing. And there's actually campaign rules kind of similar to Dungeons and Dragons. So you'll actually have a little bit of an RPG element to it as well. Um, there's going to be good, neutral, and evil, but no factions like with Attack Wing, so you'll be able to kind of play a lot of different ways. There's going to be elemental energy types, so instead of your Attack Wing photon torpedoes and things like that, you'll have different types of breath. And it's all going to be hitting this fall, supposedly. So hopefully get a chance <laughs> to see these things. you got to take a look online or take a look at our site as far as the wings. I mean, they really went all out here. I don't know how you're going to store this because... They're just the wingspan alone is incredible. Now I want it. <laughs> yes, that's why it's an acquisition disorder. I know. I already have Star Trek and Star Wars. <laughs> did that you I don't say play. That, Did you say that this is a mashup? It's a little bit of a mashup, yeah. And uh, you know, the amount of content that's supposed to come out this fall is amazing because they're showing the promo designs for all of these dragons and these ground troops. If they could deliver. I think this is just going to completely crush the market as far as all those other flight systems because they really refined it to a level where anybody can play it and the models actually look good and it actually has the scenarios to it. I don't see why else why you wouldn't get into this at this point. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it's D&D returning to its roots, right? So the original sure. Dungeons & Dragons was derived from a tabletop game called Chainmail, tabletop miniature strategy game. Mm. And... Uh, so returning to tabletop miniature strategy games, well, that's in their blood, I suppose. Be interesting if they had something that would connect with the new D and D. Yeah. Kind of so like, and then there's a dragon battle. Run over to the table and start playing with the dragons, and it'd be really easy to make them so that you could use the miniatures for both flight yeah. battles and for DMing, right? Oh man. Well, you have I to. I thought this was going to be dumb, and now I want it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, how much money do I have in my bank account? <laughs> how long can a human go without eating again? <laughs> uh. Oh, man, that's really cool. I wonder if they're going to release any of them at Gen Con. Oh, I'm sure they're going to at least have some demos up there kind of playing. Yeah, see if they fist fights at the uh, WizKids booth. <laughs> if, the, if the Dice Masters or anything, hopefully we'll see these in the fall, but you never know. They better print enough. They did okay with the attack wing. Like there was no shortage on that. No, that was easy to get. Sure. Although it, it, a number of those different release weeks were pushed back more recently, but I think that's probably more of an issue with. It's the not dice. like they have a 
Yeah, it also sounds like they have a problem with their entire supply chain right now. Sure, because so a lot of those a lot of those events happened were supposed to happen months ago, and they've been pushed back consistently. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I mean, I think all of us obviously have way too many games we want this summer, so we'll see how we survive <laughs> going into like September, October. Um, spring is so easy. We didn't even know what to talk about for the last three months. So now... Well, they all hold the good stuff into the summer yeah, because yeah. you know, there's it's a nice day and you want to go outside and play, and they're like. Hey, how about these things? You're like, sure, I don't need sunlight. Stay inside. It's a self-perpetuating cycle. Oh, awesome. All right, so that's all the acquisition disorders for this week, uh, at least the ones we're going to talk about. Uh, next, openly. Openly. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, just a quick preview run-through of uh, Kicking the Habit. Kicking the Habit. Right, guys so what have you been working on lately with the uh, other podcasts and the articles we're kicking the habit we're trying to bring our fans the best kickstarter projects possible while at the same time hopefully avoiding the real dangerous ones so on the last three podcasts we kind of guided you around letting you know what campaigns are really great and offers the best information now some of these games are still in pre-production so we don't have our hands on the actual game we've been lucky to get some pre-production copies which you can take a look on the website of how we thought those play but if you look at a campaign enough and if you just kind of see what their history is you can get a sense whether or not this game will come out and even if it does come out what quality game are you looking at? Is it going to be something that you're going to want to play over and over, or is it just kind of patched together? So you definitely want to check out Kicking the Habit because we have some great opportunities to pick up some amazing games and game-type components that are hitting the tabletop and especially helping you avoid some really dangerous games that look great on the outside but really just in the end are going to take your money and kind of put you on a bad path. Kickstarter is great, but you got to know which which are the right campaigns for you. So check us out. So you guys are the uh, Siskel and Ebert of uh, Kickstarter. A little bit. So I cover the podcast, and Daniel kind of hits the articles on the website. Yeah. Occasionally, when we get our hands on a full copy, we'll review it too. And so there are a few reviews up online. So take a look at those. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's a much needed overdue addition to the industry. <laughs> There's hundreds of these kickstarter projects every month and some of them are awful got to separate the gold from the dross yeah and that's the beauty of kickstarter because a lot of independent designers are able to get their games out there which normally would never see the light of day but the real big danger with kickstarter is there's so much chaff out there so many bad games out there whether it's a mechanic or it's just the artwork is unviewable or the rule book you just kind of can't get through and it doesn't matter if it's from an independent designer or from a big company. Kickstarter is so popular right now and so much money is going out there that people are throwing stuff up there that really they shouldn't even be doing that yet. It, it's not in a place yet, play-tested, where it's a quality game. And, you know, you're putting money out there for sometimes three, six, nine months, sometimes a year or more. And if it's delivered on time, which usually the games are not, you know, your money's kind of hanging out there where you could have bought something else really cool to hit the table. And, you know, now you're getting a product that's not great. And now it's kind of turning you off to the industry a little bit into Kickstarter. And that's really not what should be happening. You know, last week I saw a great blog post um, on uh, Clever Move. Uh, Matt M. Casey did a little research uh, from information on Board Game Geek. Um, two charts. First one was the number of Kickstarter projects year to year. 
yeah. and how it went up from year to year. And yet he also tracked the average Board Game Geek ranking rating um, from year to year also. And as the number of projects went way up, the quality of the projects going down, the average rating. Sure. So that's why we need to be more careful now than ever. Yeah, it's harder to get it out there and uh, easier to get coverage. So it's there's a lot of people out there willing to talk about it, but you know we want to make sure we're getting you know giving you at least the basic information you need to decide whether you want to back it. Yeah, and if you're a game designer out there and would like us to review your game, just contact us and we'll take a look at it and let people know how great it is. Yeah. Or if it needs a little more work, we'll let them know that too yeah. because we really want to be an independent voice for the buyers out there to kind of guide them to the great projects. And as a game designer, you want them to get a great project. So sometimes getting them in the hands of an independent reviewer just to kind of run through it might kind of save you a lot of problems later. Playtesting, another way of playtesting. Absolutely. Yep, happy to help. <laughs> All right, so that's everything for uh, Kicking the Habit this week. Uh, next up, let's take a look at some of the games we've been playing lately. At the table this week. All right, so what have we been playing lately, guys? Uh, I know we got a couple games in that were very thematically related. So what's been hitting the table this week was a game that I never thought I would pick up, Rise of Augustus. Ave Caesar! <laughs> All right, what number is it? <laughs> and I didn't think I'd ever pick this game up because all I heard about this game was it was bingo. And why would you be paying $50 for a game that was bingo? Or Italian bingo, nonetheless. Now, when we went to PAX East, we had the opportunity to look at this game and a nice 50% off sale on the last day kind of encouraged me to pick this game up. And I was really happy that I did. This game is simple. It is. It does have a bingo mechanic. So when you start the game, you're going to have these different objectives in front of you. You'll have three. And there'll be five in front of you. In addition, there'll be bonus tiles that will equate to completed missions or um, tactics that you've done on the board. And as the game goes on, you'll be pulling from a bag different tokens. So the tokens will relate to the different missions that you have. And there'll be like cross swords, there'll be dagger, there'll be a banner, there'll be a catapult. And as they're pulled out, you'll place your little legionnaire on the card. And if you complete all of the different requirements you can say Ave Caesar and then you can, that shows that you are complete with that and depending on the number on the bottom of your card the lowest number completes first and at the end of the game whoever scores seven the game ends and you count up points now on the cards themselves it offers a lot of opportunities to score points so sometimes it's number of banners sometimes it's number of areas that are orange or green or purple. Sometimes the cards have a red ability, which kind of attack other players, take out their legionnaires. In addition, there's also gold and wheat. So if your mission cards actually had a gold or wheat symbol on them, you would be able to take that. Now, if you completed, let's say, two gold cards, you're holding onto the gold, to the gold tile. But if Daniel completes three, he gets that, kind of like Settlers of Catan. So... A very light, simple game, pretty much fun, and I was glad to get it to the table. What did you guys think? I thought it was really fun. Yeah, the first time we played it, and I'm glad we played it a few times, but the first time we played it, it dragged a little long um, because there's a lot of iconography, there's a lot of different you know, abilities that you can have, the idea of chaining things together you don't really get right away. 
Um, so it might have taken us an hour to play this the first time through, which is way too long. But then once you know what you're doing, it was like the next one was 30, and then we played it again. It was like 15 or 20. Sure. So we were also playing in a really loud room, so we could barely. That made it really hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Swords. Words? <laughs> cats? Where'd you get cats? cats? No cats on this board. <laughs> so yeah, as a quick, easy game, I mean, it's. I thought it was really fun, and uh, the bingo mechanic—you don't really see it very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it's implemented here is—it's really, it's really effective. Um, and I think none of us have children that age yet, but I think it would be a good game to play with, you know, young children, like 10, 11, 12 years old. I think they have a lot of fun with this. As someone who collects games that use wheat, um, I have to have this <laughs> added to my massive collection of wheat games. Um, Just make sure to keep it away from Anthony. <laughs> he's a gluten-free gamer. Yes, that's it. Um, it's, it doesn't have enough of an interactive element. Um, the bingo mechanic is everyone's just working on their own little cards. The, the only way you can really dump on your neighbor is if you, have, if you both get bingo at the same time and you have a lower initiative card so you get to, to get your bonus first, get whatever. Yes. But there isn't much you can do to, to stop someone else. It's, there's bo- there are red cards that let you take out their legionnaires, and there's red cards that let you destroy their completed projects. I had too. one of those I was working on, but I never really completed it. It wasn't it wasn't easy to complete. Yeah, some yeah. of the high value cards. So on the objective cards, there'll be a little little circle on the bottom. So and that will show you how many points you score at the end. So they're a little yeah. bit harder. So the games that we played later, mine were really high value points, but they required items that came out pretty rarely so the attack cards kind of had those things as well so you could focus on more of those things as far as attacking other players it is but there's also a race too because if you're able to complete a lot more of these objectives then you'll be able to get a lot more of the bonuses in the middle faster Yeah, and I think it skews the score a lot, so it makes it feel unbalanced. But it's not. It's not unbalanced at all. It's just if you happen to finish first, you're going to get more of the bonuses, and your score is going to be a lot higher. So whoever won any of the three games we played won by, like, 40. Um, But that's because they automatically complete more of the cards in the first place. And it has that set collection as far as you're trying to collect certain numbers of of items or little kind of, like, tokens where you put the Legionnaires on there. So that's always a nice mechanic. I like that. It's kind of fun to kind of, oh, I need this, I need that, and I can kind of put that together and I can complete that. And then what I really like is in most games where things chain together, so you can kind of build a little bit strategically. Like this card, if I can complete this one, it'll affect. It'll yeah. it'll put two legionnaires on this card, and then this card allows me to trade this card, and this one lets me complete this card. So as Daniel was saying, you might be in a situation where you're you're totally out of it, and the next thing you know, you win by 40 points because everything kind of bumped off each other. So you think even though you fall behind early, there's still a chance to... There is, but there is the game does have a lot of randomness, right? Because the the different objectives you're going to get in your hand to begin with are going to kind of start you off. You can't, you can't discard those. You have to play those yeah. out in order to draw a new one. So I got some bad ones in the beginning, and that kind of held me down. But I've, had, I've also had other games where I've scored 70 or 80 points because... Things chained together based upon what I had in my hand and what was on the boards to choose from. So that kind of worked out really nicely. Do you think this would benefit from a uh, like a draw three, keep two 
sort of. Um, it couldn't hurt. I mean, in the beginning of the game, you do get six, and you and you pick three. But oh, yeah. even then, it's a little bit of a challenge because also the bag. The bag is random. That bingo mechanic is random. So yeah. you could need cross swords, which is the mo- one of the most. I think it's actually the most has the most tokens in the bag. But maybe it doesn't come up. It goes around and around and around, and like you're like, I just need this one thing. Why it's won't not, this come out? Yeah. So it's it's not you know tactical in that kind of way. You have to yeah. kind of play along. The choices you make as far as the objectives are concerned is somewhat strategic, but beyond that, it's just kind of you're along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, if you added any of these additional twists, though, you'd be adding a lot of complexity to what is a very simple game and is meant to be a very simple game. I, I like it because it takes a simple, a very simple mechanic that we're all sort of familiar with, the bingo, draw, call it out mechanic, oh, cross swords, mark it off your cards, uh, and manages to add a lot of strategic complexity uh, within that framework without com- uh, complicating gameplay at all. Right, so the there's all these cascading card effects, but it still flows just about as smoothly smoothly as bingo would. Mm, sure, which is impressive for a game that's actually very very fun, unlike bingo. <laughs> but it's a good game for an advanced child. If sure, you think yeah. your your kid can so. handle it. Yeah, absolutely. I like the artwork. It was nice, especially where they showed the map and they had the different items in the back. The artwork for the senators were a little odd, especially the faces were kind of a uh, little. Yeah kind of it's it's an art style i get it. it's a little blurry um it's always funny how the cards that attack other cards they look sinister and evil they have the black robes and they have like the skull as faces and things like that they kind of really you know hammer that point home that these senators really want to attack other senators almost like star wars yeah. like oh it's palpatine oh it's another palpatine card it's another palpatine the components the legionnaires are nice the little sculpted minis i wish the tokens in the bag were actually poker style or poker quality tokens instead of just a normal cardboard it would kind of give a little bit more of like a thematic authentic kind of weight of this is an ancient game even if they maybe had like a little bit of a stone kind of texture to them hmm. but beyond that i'm happy with this purchase here obviously i didn't play full msrp so for a let's say around 25 30 dollars this game is a buy for me yeah i like it a lot i think it's pretty uh a solid game. I think the box is comically large. That's another thing, too. You could put this in, like, a, a citadel size box. Absolutely. Because there's no board. Uh, and they have it in this giant, full-size box. And that's what bothered hilarious. me, too, with this game, too. Because, the, especially the score pad. Like you were saying, like, an advanced, maybe, child could kind of put together numbers. It has this huge score pad. Like, if you ever played Seven Wonders, this little tiny score pad where you have to do a lot of math on it. And this one has this huge pad, and it's really not that much math. And... I think I squeezed everything. It fits in a corner. It fits in, like, you could fit everything in a quarter to a third of the box. And it's just, like, it's just shuffling around. I'm like, I hate this when they do that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. And not it's in like, a good way. It's like one of the LCG boxes for oh, Fantasy sure. Flight. And about as much stuff in there. So. Yep. Um, but I would say it's also a buy. Uh, I like it a lot. I think it's relatively affordable for what it is. And uh, I think it's a good entry-level game for just, you know, it's a good early level game and it's not like you say it's good for children but it's not a children's game it's like we had fun with it and uh, i think i would playing it multiple times you can play with family mm-hmm. yeah i mean if i saw it for 35 dollars or less i'd buy it on impulse just right off the shelf with no second thoughts if it got much above that i'd start hesitating but it's definitely uh, i mean at any price point it's a play at the price point you're likely to see it it's it's probably a buy 
Joker. I, since I don't have children. I don't really have any other reason to get this. I would be happy to play it with someone else, but too much luck um, of the draw, literally, for me. It does have a lot of randomness. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's this other game I picked up recently. It's it's a, it's a micro game, and it's uh, one of these fantasy flights slapping a theme on something for the sake of getting that theme out there one more time. I thought it was because of money. Well, yeah, that's the subtext. <laughs> subtext money. <laughs> I'm being subtle here. Oh. Um, yeah, money grab. This is a cash grab. <laughs> uh, it's it's a Reiner Nietzsche game, which is, you know, it, you know then that it's probably going to be a little more abstract than the theme says, uh, but it's from Fantasy Flight, so it's Game of Thrones related. Um, and it is called Westeros Intrigue. So it's... Uh, Basically, it's a very simple, almost solitaire-style card game, but you play with multiple people. Um, there's 36 cards in a deck. You split them up evenly amongst the players, uh, depending on how many players there are. Maybe you'll pull a few cards out of the deck. And then you basically take turns building out this pyramid of cards, uh, base of eight going up. To put a card on top of another one, there has to be one of the same color beneath it. That's basically it. That's Those are the mechanics. Um, once everybody's gone around until they can't place anymore, the person who last placed a card gets to pull one of these Iron Throne cards, and then everybody, including that person, will take points based on how many cards are left in their hand. Uh, whoever has the least number of points at the end of three rounds wins the game. That's it. So it takes 10 or 15 minutes. Um, probably the most time-consuming part of the game is the shuffling. You have to shuffle up 36 cards every time and deal them out. Um, but it's fairly straightforward it's uh we had fun with it it's not a mind-blowing card game this isn't like you know a game-changing or industry-changing micro game and the theme is absolutely pasted on <laughs> to a comical degree um but you know it's only 10 bucks you can get it for like six something online so it's yeah i'd say it's worth picking up if you like game of thrones and you like those simple quick almost thematic independent games um yeah it was fun how how young do you think uh children it's a simple enough like i said card game i mean yeah, i think a six-year-old could play this game yeah, i mean you could just completely ignore the, the pictures have nothing to do really with the game itself other yeah. than the fact that there's pictures on there i mean it does equate to the house somewhat yeah the colors there's four colors and they do equate to the four major houses of the game so there's the starks and uh, the Targaryens, uh, the Lannisters, and the Greyjoys, I think. No, Baratheons. The Baratheons, that's right, because yeah, it's mostly first season based. Sure. Right. Um, and there's like characters that were around them, but maybe not related, yeah. that are kind of included in there. But the, the game itself, you're just looking at the color, because yeah. that's, that's the mechanic. You're, if you have two cards, one's red and one's yellow, you can either play a red or yellow. The characters' faces or yeah, so names simple enough really they can play. just follow. Yeah, yeah follow they, that. Not a lot of reading involved. No, and it's in it's even though it's a Game of Thrones game, or it's nothing violent, or there's no nudity. Yeah. There's nothing to it at all. So it's a way to introduce Game of Thrones to a six-year-old child. With <laughs> exactly. There you go. This is why I bought it. A gateway. <laughs> Timmy's been playing with the DVR again. <laughs> I mean, for, for 10 bucks, it's a pretty fun game. I mean, I actually prefer it not have the Game of Thrones theme because it bothers me when theme is just pasted on. I yeah. just, just don't pretend that this is what you're doing. Right? This is not a Game of Thrones game at all. It's a color-matching sort of game or a color-building sort of game. It is. Um, so if you're looking for something incredibly light, incredibly simple, just as a game... Great. If you're looking because looking for a Game of Thrones game, 
look elsewhere because this doesn't have the Game of Thrones type of game to it. Yeah, they got to make something in between. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, this isn't so incredibly light considering probably Game of Thrones the board game is probably one of the most heavy games out there. Yeah, and the LCG very heavy. Very heavy. Battles yeah. of Westeros very heavy. Like sure, make something in between. Yeah. All right, uh, so that's our light game review for the for the episode. Uh, next up, we have the second half of Chris's uh, ancient Roman thematic gaming night. Yes, Colosseum. We played Colosseum from our favorite friends at Days of Wonder. Now, the the one main challenge of this game is it's no longer in print. There was some lawsuit, and the Italian designer. There was this whole kind of big unfortunate problem with it. So if you do find this game, or if you do have this game, you're a lucky person, because this took me quite some time to find this, and luckily enough, I was find, was able to find this at a local friendly game store. And in Coliseum, it's really interesting, because you're going to be putting on shows. So there's really entertaining shows, not, not the bad, scary shows, but really entertaining shows. So at the start of the game, you get two show performance kind of tiles, and it will show you on the tile what type of performers you need to have for that show. As you start the game, you'll get random performers to begin with, but during each phase, you'll be able to build up to be able to put that show on in your Coliseum. Now, this is a Days of Wonder game, and you know that because the components are amazing. There's probably... I, it's been a while since I've seen the game with such great artwork and components and everything was thought of. So a beautiful board and basically you have a, a long rectangle where the senators and the emperor will kind of move around and they're little kind of, I wouldn't call them meeple pieces. They're almost like original board game kind of little pawns or like think of like chess pawns and really well decorated, really, really well colored, and they'll move around, and if they happen to land in your Coliseum when you're putting on your show, you'll get additional money for that. Now, the game takes place in five phases. The first phase is investing, so you'll be able to buy arena expansions, which allow you to have a spot where the emperor or senators or such can kind of land in and score you additional points. You have an emperor's lodge, which will allow you to roll a second die, and the dies are great because there are these kind of like rounded wood kind of die and they have the roman numerals on them and i don't i think that's the first time i've actually seen <laughs> dice in a game with roman numerals so that's pretty awesome they have season tickets which kind of like lay on top of your coliseum so all of these tokens kind of connect and lay together to kind of actually thematically build a little coliseum so you'll have an opportunity to purchase one of those or you can purchase an event program and as the game goes on, you want to build better events because they'll score you points. Now, the interesting thing about this game is it's not a culmination of points, but it's putting on the best performance during one of the five rounds. So after buying things in the first phase, you'll be acquiring event asset tokens. Now, in the board itself, there'll be a main kind of market area with five different areas, and the first player will bid on one of the five areas that contain these different performers. So you have to have a minimum bet of eight, and then it'll go around and everyone will bid. And if you win the bid, you'll get those three tokens to be able to add to your performance later on. But the bidding can kind of go ramp up. And there are some wild tiles in there. There are some tiles that allow you to do special builds during the game. Because the next phase, phase three, is where you'll actually be able to trade tokens with other players. Which is a lot of fun, because what do you need compared to what do I need? And do I want to give you those points? You might jump ahead. And then the phase four, you'll actually be producing events. So you'll be rolling the die or dies if you actually have the Emperor's Lounge. And 
you'll be able to move the emperor, the consul, or the center around the board, and if they land in your area, you'll get additional points. You will show your event program, and hopefully you have the number of performers, the different types of performers, in order to score the maximum. If you don't, you'll score less points, but you'll still be able to score that event program. That will give you money, which you'll be able to use in later rounds, but you'll also score victory points for that performance. At the end of the game, whoever scored the greatest event program in victory points wins the game. Got a chance to pick this game up, picked it up for full MSRP, and really liked the game. What would you guys think? Uh, I mean, first up, you know, the, obviously the day is a wonder game, so the first thing you're always going to notice is the artwork and the, the thematic, the way it, the theme is paid, you know, built into the game. Um, amazing work there, obviously. It really looks and feels and plays like you're putting on these shows and trying to impress the Emperor. I really like that a lot. Um, the game itself, uh, I had some issues with it because it is it lends itself towards, um, I don't want to say AP necessarily because you kind of lock yourself in at a certain point in terms of what you're going to do, but you kind of have to plan out the whole game in the first one or two rounds. Um, and that's not unique to this game. A lot of Euros end up being like that. If you don't plan out kind of what you want to do, you're not going to do very well at the end because you're not prepared for it. But it's uh, it's done in such a way that you're almost like if you make a couple mistakes or someone blocks what you need or just get the bad draw, you might end up... You just kind of can't, can't do a lot towards the end. There's a little bit of flexibility in there in terms of you know getting those medals and being able to take extra actions. So I don't think it's a major problem, but it did bother me a little bit. Um, the amount of time I spent referencing that spreadsheet on the back, <laughs> trying to figure out what I should buy, like three rounds later. Um, and it, I don't think it makes the game significantly longer, and if you played it multiple times, I think it would probably slow, you know, speed up a little bit, but that it did bother me a little bit. Yeah, despite the fact that any of your performances during any of the five rounds can win you the game, Typically, it's going to be the final performance is that's going to score you the most points because each time you finish a performance, you flip it over, you'll score five additional points. If you scored the most that round, you'll get an additional three. So you really want to work your way backwards, as Anthony was saying. Find the biggest show that you think you can put on and then work your way backwards because each event performance, you're going to keep the performers minus one. So if you built a lot of ships for a performance and you get the, let's say, the special star performer for that too, you want to be able to carry that throughout the game so that you're scoring more and more points. You don't want to start from scratch each time because you might not get the number of performers you need. The interesting thing is, theoretically, it is possible to just tank the first four rounds and win in the final round sure. if you can put together the biggest show. Absolutely. I like that because this means that you can fall behind, in a sense, and still win the game because only one round counts. Um, I think that, that's a big feature. You're never, you're never really out of the game. But that said, what, what you mentioned, Chris, is you do want to try and score each round uh, so that it builds up. The scores keep building um, from have one round to the next. It gives you more bonus points for the next. Yeah, you need, yeah and you need the cash. And you yeah. need the cash. Yeah, it, it's a big, big thing. And the other, something you just said, Anthony, and I can't remember, so I'm going to move on. Um, the resources. You get to trade. There's not a lot of games that allow that. I would love to see that in, like, Agricola. I'll trade you my horse for two sheep. It's Come true. On, please. <laughs> um, trading games are great because you're never really out of it. Oh, the point you made is that um, 
you can still score even if you don't meet all of the terms. You'll just score a little less. So you mm -hmm. can always score. You get the bonus points for scoring. Um, you're just not going to get as much. That's okay. So you never really you never really run into a brick wall. There's always something you can do. And there's always a chance that you can still win up to the final round. Yeah, I mean, there are a few ways you could like put yourself completely in a corner. Um, but once you know the rules of the game, it's very unlikely you do that. Yeah. Like, you can't buy the higher level uh, events unless you have like the full Coliseum, yeah. for example. Expanded enough. Yeah. If you forget or just don't expand your Coliseum till later in the game, you're going to be in the last two rounds and be like, all right, I'm not doing anything. Um, that's that's the kind of thing you'd learn in the rule, like the first playthrough. It's going it to be frustrating. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of moments like that where there are certain things you really kind of need to do before other things. Um, there's certain things you don't realize are important, like the Emperor's Loge, which is probably one of the most important upgrades you can buy, because that allows you to manipulate the, the senators and the, the emperor to get those medals that you'll need for extra actions later. Um, so I like that. I think it's cool that everything interacts so well. There's no like one part of the game that's like extra, and you're like, ah, I can ignore that. You kind of really need to do everything. Yeah. Um, it's just the planning aspect makes it a little rough. And then the three-player game, too, is... All that interaction you're talking about wasn't really there as much. Uh, so yeah. like, it, it plays best as five. Yeah, I think yeah. so. More people. The crap on your neighbor um, aspect is really high, I think, because you can you can take things right out from under the other players. Yeah, uh, very easily. Or move the senators away from them. Away like, from? Yeah, I know. You're not getting them this turn. <laughs> well, it's com and the thing I like about games is combinations. So you can create a combination of moves where you can. Um, move the senators and Caesar around to your own advantage um, quite easily. Love combinations. We played once with five and once with three, and I would like to play another round with five, especially since that was our first playthrough and we didn't have time to go through the last round. I'd like to see how that plays through. Yeah. But as it was, you know, it's very heavy early game planning, and that doesn't bother me so much as the fact that there was that that was it right it was, it was very heavy early game planning and then you just sort of kick back and go all right let's do the thing i've already decided upon doing and for the next five rounds i will be doing that thing yeah but of... but you still have to bid on the show <laughs> and what if somebody else grabs the show that you want and that happened well that's the, the thing that's, that's, that's where three players hurts like you kind of yeah. get to do whatever you want it's so easy right. there's no yeah, competition so and, and, yeah. and that's why i want to play again with with five players because i want to yeah. see if if playing through where everyone knows the rules with a large group gets more interaction more dynamicism in the game because the last playthrough we did felt very static because i had made my decision okay. i had set my course and I was done. Well, it's important to know the number of chairs you need at a game, and yeah. five is it for this one. But I do have a strategy. If you hurry up and grab all of the boats right off the bat, <laughs> absolutely nothing will happen. You're going to break Hi, Board Game Geek Thread, talking about our review of Lewis and Clark. <laughs> Hope you guys are having a good day. But Daniel, keep trying to break the game. Keep trying. We yeah. like that. <laughs> um, if you're a fan of theme... I like the, the, the way the theme is, is integral to this game. An uh, impresario for Caesar, trying to put together a show, and it's well done. I think well integrated. So for me, this game's a buy. I picked it up full price. I'm happy I did. The components are great. The artwork is nice. The insert holds pretty much everything. The tiles in the bag kind of float, which I'm not really thrilled about, considering everything else 
fits perfectly. But yeah, it has a lot of different mechanics to it. So you're doing your set collection, the set collection's rolling over, which is really nice. I always had a little challenge with Lords of Waterdeep where you worked really hard to get all these adventurers and they never came back. <laughs> so I was always like, what happened to all those guys I collected? That was like a lot of guys. And they're like, uh, I guess they died because you don't get any of them back. It would have been nice to see this mechanic in that game because when you're able to collect enough tokens of these different performers, it's great because now you built this big kind of cast that you can kind of do any show with. But it, it this game is a strategic game. You have to build... You have to think in the future and work your way backwards. That's the only way you can play this game, you, you know. But a five-player game is going to throw in a lot more tactics where you might have to change the shows that you're going to pick because otherwise you're kind of out. Well, somebody else crapped on you. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> you got to adjust and adapt. You do. All right, cool. So that's that's a good game. I mean, two solid Roman-themed uh, games we got in mm-hmm. on the same day even. So that was a fun night. That was fun. Yeah, fun yeah. theme night. All right, so next up, we're going to jump into our feature review, Mice and Mystics. And now for the feature review. All right, so our feature review this episode is Mice and Mystics. This is a game I picked up uh, over a year ago. It's one of the first board games I purchased, actually. Got it as a gift, actually. Um, And it is kind of you know it's modeled after your classic dungeon crawl but it is with of course mice uh they're up against their arch nemesis the rats and spiders and centipedes and you you get the idea it's uh everything you know about a dungeon crawl just kind of shrunk down so to speak it's a it's a dungeon scurry dungeon scurry nice see what you did there uh and it's very heavily story-based. So you get a storybook, uh, and you're playing through chapters. Even the board itself is kind of laid out in a way where it's, you, you're working your way towards the end of the book. You're going you know, through different pages of the chapter. Um, so that's the theme of it. It's, uh, and even the first, when you first start the game, when you read the prologue, it's you know, a mouse reading to his son this story of the humans that became mice. So I'm not going to ruin any of the story for you because it is a lot of fun, um, especially if you download the audio chapters that are available on Plaid Hat's website. Uh, I think it's $10 and you get all the audio from the first um, 16 chapters, the base game. So that's that's a lot of fun, that part right there. The game itself, um, it plays out by chapter and each chapter will have a setup in the chapter book. And there'll be different tiles. Uh, I think there's eight or nine tiles that come in the box, and they're two-sided. Uh, and it'll tell you which ones to lay out. And then there'll be a board on the side with the chapter uh, laid out in terms of what page is going to be the end. Um, there'll be an encounter deck, which will tell you what you're going to fight every time you enter a new tile. There will be a search deck that you draw from every time you search um, as an action and then there will be a an initiative track where you will shuffle up all of the mice that are playing for the players and then each of the minions that are out on the board that you're fighting and you lay them out each time there's a new encounter uh, card that comes out to show you what the order will be so the basic idea is everybody plays one of these mice there are five in the base game um, and you'll pick from i think there's actually six but you'll pick four of them because it it plays up to four and uh, occasionally you'll have extras, and one of them will just be an NPC of sorts. Um, if you do play with fewer than four players, usually the game will recommend that you have additional mice, you know, to 
balance out the difficulty because you're going to face just as many bad guys, so got to have as many mice. Um, and each turn is relatively straightforward. You're going to move, and each mouse can move based on their movement on the card, which is usually two or three, and then you're going to take an action. Um, and your action can be to search, uh, it can be to attack, it can be to scurry. And then there are free actions as well, based on you have like ability cards. Um, everybody starts the game with one. You can buy more later as you level up. And then uh, you can upgrade your equipment through search cards. You can cast spells if you pull the right search cards. There's a lot of different things you can do to customize your character throughout the game, uh, based on the search deck and the ability deck. Um, and really, what you're trying to do is clear the minions and get to the end of that particular tile. Uh, sometimes that's a flip, where you either climb a ladder or go through a hole, and sometimes that's just an entrance to another tile. And everything's very thematic, so sometimes you're on a kitchen floor, sometimes you're in a tunnel underneath the kitchen, sometimes you're in a sewer, um, sometimes you're outside in a courtyard trying not to get eaten by a crow. There's a lot of fun little thematic things that fit inside the, the world of a mouse, but the characters themselves are humans shrunk down to be mice, so everything is also very anthropomorphized. So you have your swords and occasionally like your thimble shield and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so that part is a lot of fun. The actual combat is relatively straightforward. There's ranged attacks and melee attacks, and then the minions themselves will attack back. With, for the minions, you'll roll for movement, uh, and you'll roll for attack, and you'll roll for defense. Anytime those minions roll a cheese icon, that goes to the board. Um, if you pull, I think, six total cheese icons, you get a surge, which means a new encounter card. Um, it also moves the chapter marker one closer to the end, which can also move up if someone dies. So, so it's, it's the time marker, basically. When the minions draw the cheese, the clock... The clock is ticking down, yeah. yeah. It's even a little clock icon that fills in with each of those yeah. cheese icons. Um, the players themselves get cheese, too. So if you roll cheese on your attack, you get cheese. Um, and there's a bunch of ways you can get extra cheese, too. But you'll spend cheese to use your abilities, and then if you get six of your own cheese, you can turn those in for uh, an upgrade. Um, every chapter plays a little bit differently. Uh, the first chapter is pretty straightforward. You're just going through the different rooms, learning the mechanics, uh, getting to know the characters. As you move through, there will be different mechanics thrown in. You're, the second chapter, you're trying to rescue somebody. The third one, there's like a gambling mechanic where you're gambling with rats to uh, try to trick them to think you're also rats because you're in disguise. <laughs> um, they can catch you if you run out of cheese. So there's a lot of little fun ways that the game mixes things up. Um, and it's obviously, it's going to continue throughout the rest of the chapters. The base game itself comes with, I believe, 11 chapters. And then there's an expansion that came out last year in the fall, which has another six. Um, and each of those is going to take you about an hour, hour and a half. So there's a lot of gameplay here. Whether or not you want to replay each of these chapters, that's questionable. Um, they do also get a little hard. So you might die. And if you die, then you would obviously want to replay it. Or you can, you know, jump ahead and play the next one. Overall, uh, this is a lot of fun for me. Um, I have a young family. I know that as my kids get older, they're going to want to play games, and this is the kind of game I'll probably use to introduce them to this genre. Um, I have a lot of fun with it. I love the storytelling aspect, and uh, I've, I, I've had fun playing with you guys, and I look forward to playing the other chapters, but let's hear what you guys have to think of uh, Mice and Mystics. Well, I only played the, the one chapter with you guys, so 
Uh, in subsequent chapters, do you think it's scaled up uh, the difficulty, the challenge, scaled at an appropriate yeah. curve? We died on the next two chapters. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Brutally. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So you think it, it got too difficult too fast? No. No, no I think... Um, and it's a learning curve, too. So what they did in the second chapter, is, and what they do throughout, is um, instead of just being like, there's five pages, and if you die five times or have five surges, you lose, it's when you reach a certain checkpoint, like you need two pieces of information, let's say, in one chapter. Once you reach the first piece of information, it moves up a page automatically. Yeah. So you're one closer to the end anyways. And then when you reach the second one, it moves up again. So you wow. can really yeah. only get one surge. Okay. And you really can't die. Or one or the other, really. Yeah. If you get two surges and then you die, you've already lost. You can't yeah. finish it. So it's it definitely ramps up. Yeah, and we just, but for both times that we lost, we didn't, none of us actually died. It was just that surge counter got too high. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a combination for us. It was a combination of bad luck and then a few bad moves. It can be kind of unforgiving if you make a serious mistake or if you're not moving fast enough the game will mm, gladly right. remind you of that <laughs> kind, yeah. of, kind of like left for dead in that sense for sort of a board game version of left for dead right where you stand still too long and all the zombies just come running at you then yeah yeah there's even a mechanic if you like say you kill everything on a tile and you don't leave for oh. a full round like you sit there and search if you loiter then you you get punished they start cheese starts going out of the wheel so the game's like, keep moving, keep moving, let's go. <laughs> and if you don't, like you said, it's some of these tiles, there might be bad guy, there might be stuff worth exploring, but you really should just run for the next exit. Yeah. Mm. The uh, the recording part, did that provide any clues for what, what you're going to face in the next uh, tile? Did it give you any clues on how to defeat what you're facing? Or is it just atmosphere? It's 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 mostly atmosphere. I mean, sometimes you know, you know like in Chapter 3, you're going to... At the end, you'll face a certain boss character, we'll call him. Um, there's kind of a hint in the story that this is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, Gives you just a little preview, but not... not yeah, and all the text in that audio is in the book. So, yeah. you know, if you don't pay the $10 for the audio, you just have someone read it at the table. Oh, okay. um, it's all in there. I suggest you pay for the audio, though. That yeah. <laughs> I just... I know me like I was kind of making fun of the idea at first and I feel like if I were reading it I'd be like being silly and not really taking it seriously but the audio is it actually manages to put a fair bit of I mean as much drama as you'd expect it, it feels like someone reading a storybook and really trying to get into it and you know it kind of at least brought me kind of, kind of brought me back to being a kid and you know listening to my dad read stories and that sort of thing then what happens <laughs> so what age would you recommend this for um, I don't know. I mean, the mechanics themselves are pretty simple. I mean, you don't even have to roll to move. You just move two yeah. and then choose one of three actions. Um, if you want to start getting really particular about, like, balancing out your weapons and what the search cards are and figure out how many times you can search per tile without getting too many yeah. surges, like, that kind of stuff you could really think on. But, uh, you know, a six-, seven-, eight-year-old, they could probably play this game. You handle that. Yeah. Game. It'd be tough, and you'd have to help them, but... Like, the storytelling part, they would love. They would love that. I would get into it. And then the game mechanics is... Because one person ends up managing most of that. There ends up being kind of a GM-type role. Because mm -hmm. there are setup rules in the book. There are special rules. Like, if you search on this tile, you find the fork kind of a thing. Oh, okay. Um, so there's a lot of special stuff. If another group were to play this, obviously the replayability is low. Would it be enough different? Or is it pretty much the same? Like a video game, you're pretty much... 
Yeah, I think the game relies really heavily on the story. Yeah, you um, The mechanics, while diverse, are not super complicated. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to... Each chapter will be a little different. But, like, I've played the first three chapters two times, and I played the first chapter, like, five. And it is roughly the same every okay. time. So. Well, the big question I think all our listeners want to know is, Anthony, have you painted the mice yet? <laughs> I have painted the mice, yes. Ah. I painted the mice... <laughs> When I got the game, I wanted to. I played it once with my wife. She got it for me, uh, and then I painted the mice almost immediately. I painted them last summer, and I did not play the game again for like seven months. So they're sitting in the box, and I'm like, "Come on, I really want to play this." Uh, but I did. I did paint the mice. They come unpainted, um, but no, they're pretty decent quality miniatures. It's not. Yeah. It's plaid hat quality, so they're board game quality, maybe slightly above average. But cool. nothing was like bent sideways. So. <laughs> it's not, That's always a pro. Yeah, exactly. They're uh, it's not Rune Wars quality plastic. It's better. I know Daniel. You and I were talking about this whole idea of the legacy campaign idea as something, you know, extra that we would enjoy in this. Yeah. It does have a campaign mode. It's not. It's not a legacy game. Obviously, you don't you don't change what the story is going to be later. Mm. It's just a matter of carrying over what your character has. Um, and that carryover is relatively limited. You carry over the powers you learn, uh, and one item, right? one search card, one search card, and and then you can slowly accrue, accumulate certain more powers. And I think that actually, you know, that that's a fair amount of carryover. But I almost wish there was a little bit more to it. I like the idea of the sort of role-playing game building up of your character, and this isn't quite that speed right you're not collecting all these goods and all these magical items and weapons and armor and learning all these skills that you're going to bring out to the next one you're only getting to bring some of that forward uh, which is i guess a, a fact they're not really shooting for that rpg board game combo which is what i thought they were shooting for this is more just this is a board game where you are playing through a storybook and it yeah but does this make you guys want to play the expansion like keep going I think the story was very interesting, and I mean, for almost a kid's type of kind of story, it didn't have like major plot holes that kind of bothered me. It seemed like it really it flowed really well together. The encounters you were having were genuinely challenging, both as far as a mechanic that they were challenging, but also as a story like, hey, this would be challenging if I was a mouse and I had to do X, Y, and Z, and yeah, a roach or a centipede would be really dangerous to me, and I get that. And so when you're playing through the game, what I always like is a thematic game that makes sense. You don't have to kind of constantly look back at the rule book and go, oh, so what happens now? Oh, okay, this makes sense. I have to I have to crawl up this broom in order to get to the top of the table because I just can't jump up there directly. So I, when I was playing this game, I really kind of felt part of the game. It really wow. felt like yeah, this makes sense. We're really kind of in this where it didn't feel like any part I was taken out, especially with the audio. The audio was really nicely done where I was looking forward to hearing the next piece of audio and seeing where the story was going because they were always upping the stakes. And at the same time, you did feel like you were the small, powerless type of creature that was just barely getting through each adventure. I do think that the game suffers from the expectations that this is a dungeon crawl 
or that this is some sort of RPG or this is a Dungeons and Dragons tabletop yeah. game. I mean, I think Daniel started to hit on it. I mean, for me, this felt like the next progression and maybe like you played Forbidden Island, then you played Forbidden Desert, and now you play this because this, for me, this game was really a co-op. It was more of a co-op game that together we needed to figure out what it was that we needed to do in order to complete the mission more than I'm this type of character and I'm going to do this and then whatever you do, that's fine. You do your thing, I'll do my thing and then I'm sure it'll all work out together. This was more like we really need to come together, figure out the puzzle, take the right steps because as Anthony was saying, the cheese kind of adds up to the wheel and then time runs out. So, you know, you would play an RPG. You can spend all day there hitting the creature as long as you're not dying. <laughs> this, you have a clock on you. So, like, how the island floods or the desert kind of covers over everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you only have X amount of time to do this. And together, you have to work out a plan. And just like Forbidden Desert, you're going to get a couple of items, which you'll be able to use in the game. And then that's pretty much it. So, as mice in this game, you'll get a couple of items and one or two abilities. And let's come together and figure out. I think if the game is pitched more along that line... I think people would kind of gravitate toward it better and would find a bigger audience because the components are great, the story is great, the artwork is really nice. I can't imagine why you wouldn't pick this game up unless you thought it was something that it was not. I can see that, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, even I say Dungeon Crawl all the time and then people sometimes feel a little disappointed, I think. Um, But having played through the few chapters, losing a couple times, it does feel a lot more like just... A typical, not typical, but similar to a co-op board game, where you do have to finish out that puzzle, which um, is nice, and an added thematic kind of story to it, which is really rich and yeah. interesting. I like the next step. I think if they would have marketed it that way, I think this game would just explode. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's good. But there's also a little bit. It does try to pull in some of those RPG elements too, though. Like I read when I read the storybook, which you guys don't see. I'm looking at it. There are things in there that I could tell you, like, hey, if we go to this room and search for the dinner fork, we'll get it, and we need that to free her. Or I could not tell you, and then we'll just die. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless you don't, unless you do it. Like, it doesn't tell you one way or the other. Like, it is kind of like there is a game master here. There's somebody who's running this scenario, and then everybody else is kind of playing their characters. It's obviously not an RPG. It's not. But what's the restore point? If you die, what would you go back to? Well, you don't die, right? You get captured. Yeah, yeah. That's. And then, if a car- if a car- if a mouse is captured, um, you just have to clear the room of all the minions. Oh, and then and then search freed. for them, and then oh, they're freed. Okay. So the problem with that is that when they're captured, it moves up a page. You have fewer. When you have fewer mice, and then mm. the minions go more often, so they get more cheese. So it tends to snowball really fast. If somebody gets captured, you're probably going to lose. You should probably have first aid as an ability. You should probably have Tilda in there as the healer. Because if you don't, you're going to die really fast. <laughs> uh, if everybody's wiped out or if you get to the end of the chapter, like on the marker, yeah. like you're like, you'd lose and you just, you're supposed to replay that chapter. So the, the idea is then to prevent being captured. Yes. Just don't even be captured in the first place. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. You're going to see a surge probably at least once yeah. every chapter. Try to keep it to once. And part of that's luck, because we got to one point at the end of chapter three uh, where we had one one more piece of cheese and we lost on a surge. Mm. We went through like seven rolls and didn't roll a cheese for the minions. So we are like, how are we not dead yet? <laughs> uh, and then we finally did lose, because there was like five enemies on the board, and like we're not going to 
But we kept going. It's possible. Or it could have gone on the first roll. So. Yeah. Um, so if you play from that role, you know, it is, yeah, it is more of that co-op style, puzzle solving. You're always going to get, and every time we die, we're just that close to finishing it. Which um, is, once again, what you want from a good co-op. Exactly. You it's, want something that, like like Daniel was saying, like, maybe you wouldn't want to play through this, like, once you play through it, maybe you would put it on a shelf and leave it there for a year or so, before, so you can kind of forget everything. You wouldn't be pulling this all the time. But a co-op game is supposed to be hard. So you should lose a lot of times, and you should have to struggle with it, and it should be a sense of accomplishment when you are able to kind of succeed. Whereas if you played an RPG and you just couldn't get past the first monster, you'd be like, I'm not playing this anymore. Never again. Yeah. You're like, come on, help me out here. So. Well, that's why at least a game like Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, has a, a built-in uh, handicapper to make it tough, because you do want to lose once sure. in a while. Yeah. Um, Mice and Mystics, yeah, I guess the, the clock is what... Is built in. You're definitely going to lose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not going to lose the first chapter. Although I have lost the first chapter before. It is possible, but that crow on the third tile can really oh, do a lot of damage if you're not careful. Um, you hear that, folks? He just tipped you off to the crow in the third <laughs> tile. So keep an eye out. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler. <alert. laughs> chapter one. You don't know what you're doing anyways. Uh, all right. So like final review. I love this game. I love it a lot. I mean, it's. That first time I played it, and obviously it made me want to paint the miniatures right away and have this complete experience. Um, the story has been fun. The game is just light enough to kind of teach quickly and play through, you know, fun like. But and then they're releasing new chapters every year. At least they have thus far. There's a new expansion coming out later this year with more chapters still. So yeah, you're not going to go through the original chapters multiple times with the same group probably, but you're getting new ones as you go, and that. You know, 11 chapters in the base game, that's, that's probably 20 hours of gameplay. But right did there. it make you want to get the expansions and keep going? Me? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's definitely a buy for Anthony. Yeah, that's an easy buy. I mean, I own it already, but I would buy, it, buy it if it. I hadn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if this burned in a fire, I'd buy it again. <laughs> <laughs> What's the price point for this game? It's 80. Okay. It's, uh, it's a trade for me again um because of limited replay yeah i'm adding that sorry guys <laughs> it's another one of those games and here's the logic of it um there are some games where you play it through all the way once and you don't really want to play it again but it's a valuable game so trade it for another similar game where someone else has played through it all once and doesn't want to continue it so that's a good um, point yeah so it's certainly a game to trade for and play it through start to finish and enjoy it I could see that, yeah. I mean, I have, with kids, I know I'll probably play it through it multiple times. Yeah. Uh, the number of times I've watched Cars and already <laughs> the Lego movie tells me that children have no clock on these and things. how many more kids are you going to have, Anthony? I mean, you got to replay it each time with each exactly, kid. Exactly, yeah. right? I mean, come on. He needs to get his money's worth. It's $80, so <laughs> he's got to calculate the money compared to the number of children. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Divided by the relative age. Why? <laughs> That's right. I mean, obviously. <laughs> And you can't play it with the older child and the younger child at the same time because the older child is going to say, "Oh no, don't do that!" Because I already know what's going to happen. And don't do that. So you got to play with your that children. That would totally separately. happen. Yeah. But that's yeah. fun. That's yeah. the fun of siblings. So for, for me, <laughs> this game's a play. I don't have the audience for this, but I could absolutely see playing all the forbidden games and then working my my family up to the point where Mice and Mystics would be a nice introduction to an RPG type of game. Like, hey, mm -hmm. did you like this game? You know, you went through the co-ops, we kind of played together. How would you like to have your own character and do your own thing? 
because that might seem more interesting. Or like yeah. Daniel was saying, like it would be great if you could keep more of your stuff and had more of a legacy yeah. type of situation where your characters. How about we try a basic, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type of game? So it's a great gateway game for that too. Yeah. Okay, I can see it. Yeah, for me, it's it's definitely a play without thinking. Uh, I do want it. I don't know if I want it eighty dollars bad, but I want it pretty bad. Uh, and for me, actually, I'm thinking less about children, but for my sort of friends I want to get into gaming, Mice and Mystics could be a core game in a weekly gaming session, right? Every time we play one chapter of Mice and Mystics yeah. and some other little games around it. Uh, and I think that'd be a really great way to sort of get uh, a, a strong gaming week going, right? A weekly gaming schedule going. It's yeah. a good game for that, too, because it's not... Like, a lot of games like this one chapter campaign whatever you want to call it even like D&D anything like that you're looking at three four five hours that's it that's your night for the like and you only do it once a month each chapter in this is hour hour and a half yeah. you know yeah it is a campaign a great a great starter campaign game yeah I think so it's it's very close to being a buy for me awesome all right so that's our uh, full review of mice and mystics I think we all had fun playing it uh, whether you buy it or not it's gonna depend on a lot of factors partly because of price, but also because of the audience. Who do you have to play it with? Any kind of game like this that's going to be like that. But overall, very strong game. I'm very much looking forward to the new expansions. Wanting to finish these chapters so I can get to them. Um, <laughs> that is uh, just about everything we have for this week. Um, remember, again, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Um, get the Board Game Geek. Let us know what you thought of our Tabletop World Cup uh, finalists really all of the choices as you've already been doing and uh you know what you think of the game to review this week we want to hear from you guys we want to hear what you have in mind if you have any questions too you know we definitely want to hear questions we're getting a lot of feedback lately um recent episodes and it's kind of fun to hear them and if it's a good question something we think is going to be you know fun to talk about on the podcast we'll bring it on the podcast we'll talk about it and we'll give you a shout out so that is everything for this week this is anthony this is chris this is daniel this is drew and until next time we'll save you a piece of cheese